Welcome to the Adoptee Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Guida Richards, an author, adoptee, and mom. Each week, we will delve into the nuances of adoption, as well as tips for how to bring up difficult discussions in your adoptive family. And most importantly, we will not shy away from tough topics. So thanks for joining me today, and let's jump into your weekly dose of Adoptee Thoughts. Can you please introduce yourself? All right. My name is Christine Hyman, and I am a Korean adoptee, and I was adopted at six months old from South Korea uh, into a all-white family living in Minnesota. Can you please tell me a little bit more about your experience being an adoptee and a little bit about your adoption story, if you don't mind? Sure, sure. Um, so as an adoptee, um, I didn't really think much about my adoption story uh, until I was a teenager. Um, and that was because I started meeting more adoptees. Um, and as I started reflecting more about my adoption story, I started looking more at um, who I was as both an adoptee and as a person of color. So um, growing up, though, my mom, she would always say, like, if you wanted to talk about adoption, you could. Um, and so she would say, you know, here, here's your papers. And so I always knew my adoption story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you know, kind of, I guess you could call your quote-unquote stereotypical adoption story um, from Korea of a single mom uh, who didn't have the means to raise me and also just because of the social stigma of Koreans um, to single moms. um, That's why she uh, made the adoption plan for me. So I always knew that, but I didn't really have any interest in looking more into my Korean heritage, Korean culture, or my adoption story um, until I think I was about 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's when I started meeting more adoptees and uh, they had already looked more into their adoption stories and had connected more with Korean culture. And I kind of just got sucked into that. <laughs> and because of that, I, I became more curious about who I was and where I came from. How did you meet other adoptees? Did you go to a culture camp or how did you make that connection? In my school, but it's not like we talked about adoption in, in my school. Uh, but in high school, one of my first yeah. friends that I met, uh, and you know, I still talk to to this day, uh, she's a Korean adoptee. And um, yeah, and so just oh, nice. right off the bat, it was, you know, hey, who are you? Oh, you know, my name is Christine. Oh, okay. And oh, well, you know, you don't look like, you know, your name is, you know, Christine. And then that ultimately led to, oh, are you adopted? Yes, I'm adopted. And then, you know, kind of one of those stories. And uh, so, yeah. Um, And then she was really involved with just the adoption community and Korean culture. And so she led me um, to do Korean dance and culture camps. And that's how I became more involved with the Korean um, culture and Korean adoption community. It was directly through this this friend of mine. Can you talk to me a little bit about the importance of having that community and in your life like did you find that that was pivotal for being an adolescent and finally exploring your identity or do you think it it wouldn't have really mattered I mean I think you know each adoptee is unique just like every person is unique Um, each adoptee while we may have similar adoption stories um, there are some similarities and so I think at least for me, though, as uh, looking at myself as an adoptee and as a person of color, going through adolescence, it was very hard. Um, 
I grew up in the Twin Cities here in Minnesota. So um, I was in a way blessed that I wasn't in a small rural town in Minnesota just because as I was looking at um, my adolescence as, as myself and reflecting on who I was as an adoptee and as a person of color, I don't think that I really could put into words what I needed, but just being able to connect with everyone, um, whether it be people of color or other adoptees, it was really important to have those opportunities to be able to go to culture camps or be able to go to um, Korean dance or just being able to interact with other adoptees. Um, just even if we didn't talk about adoption, it was just being able to be surrounded by people who knew what I was going through or just knew if I was having a hard day. Um, I went to a um, rather small private Catholic school. Uh, the majority of people were white. And so just by going there, race wasn't talked about very much. And so you still really stood out a lot. Um, and then especially having the name that I do, you you then especially did, <laughs> you especially stood out. And then you have the questions of, oh, why do you have that name? And then if my parents ever came to, whether it be a soccer game or conferences, it was, oh, you're Christine's parents, and then having those questions. So really having those opportunities to connect, it really was important for me. Um, and and still to this day, it still is really important for me to have that community of um, transracial adoptees in general, um, just to have that support. Is Do you feel like that is part of the reason why you, you got into the work that you do? Because I know... Can you please tell me a little bit about what you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, what I did was I founded an organization called Adoptee Bridge in 2017, and we provide post-adoption support services for transracial adoptees and their families. And I really do think that in part it had to do with my own personal experience. Um, well, I did find support through um, the community, you know, through my friends and whatnot. Um, what I did later on in life was I started working at a rather large adoption agency. And just by doing the work there and just seeing the services that they offered, I really did see that there is a need to have more adoptees in this work, providing more services for our community of adoptees. Because I really do think that it's important um, to have more adoptees in this work. Um, I know that personally, I feel more comfortable talking to adoptees about my experiences, um, whether it be just, you know, hey, I'm having a hard time <laughs> talking to my mom or my dad about this adoption-related thing, or um, everything from I miss my birth country to, um, you know, harder topics like racism, um, talk, trying to talk to my friends about being a person of color, but my name doesn't match my face, things like that. So that's all those experiences um, really just packed all in one is really the reasons why I formed Adoptee Bridge is to provide post-adoption support services for adoptees um, by other transracial adoptees. Yeah, I, I definitely think the, that type of work is so important. And I feel like there's not many places that provide a lot of post-adoption supports and especially by adoptees because one of the things that we talk about a lot in the adoption community is like adoptees understand what it's like to be 
an adoptee. So when you're having trainings led by other adoptees, it's easier to relate. And um, I feel like it has a better impact than trainings not really run by um, not adoptees. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, can you tell me a little bit about searching for um, birth family and reunion. Your adoption was closed, right? In in the beginning? Right, right. So similar to a lot of um, Korean adoptees, my adoption was, um, you know, using the word closed. Um, you know, you have maybe two and a half pages of information and maybe out of those two and a half pages, you have a paragraph of information. Um, the majority was on my birth mother. And, um, I know when I started, you know, when I was a teenager and I started exploring my Korean identity more, I would read that one paragraph over and over and over again and um, and just try to memorize all the details. But, you know, a paragraph isn't no, that much. <laughs> a paragraph? No, no, it's not. And, um, and then the rest of the document was um, just check up information, you know, like, oh, she's a healthy baby and here's her height and weight and um, you know, she sleeps this much and whatnot, but really that was it. Um, I was fortunate to have a name, um, well, names of both birth parents. I know that not all adoptees are fortunate to have that information, but in Korea, uh, names are very common. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> names are very common, like Kim, Lee, Park, uh, Chong. My last name is Chong. Uh, those are very common last names, and so really with a name, it's so hard just to find anyone. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like Johnson or Smith here in the United States. Um, and really, again, growing up, I never thought about searching. I never thought about um, connecting with my birth family. Um, still to this day, my family is my family here in the United States. Um, but again, as I connected with more adoptees, you know, you always have this little you know, this little wondering of who I look like. And also as I grew up, um, I, I began to have more medical um, problems. And so again, as doctors ask you, you know, do you have family medical? <laughs> yeah. And so it's just, I just recently the other day, like, do you have a family medical history? And it's just, nope. <laughs> you bring up the A word. It's like, I'm adopted. And oh, really? mm -hmm. <laughs> over and over and over again. And, um, so that's really, really why just like the, the questions of um, who do I look like and then also medical information. Um, and also just to let, especially my birth mom, know that I'm okay, mm. uh, to let her know that I'm okay and, um, you know, that I was placed with a good family and, um, you know, that I'm alive. Yeah. Uh, so those are really the reasons why eventually I decided that um, I did – kind of want to search and um so that's why i did it was somewhat again when you when you do when you're in a transnational adoptee you know a lot of times you're working with um agencies where um those social workers may not have english as a first language mm -hmm. um and so with that there may be miscommunication there may be mistranslation and so that's what happened with my situation oh no um there was a little bit of miscommunication, mistranslation. So at first it was just, I have a letter. I want to put it in my file um, just in case somebody comes forward and asks about me. I want them to know I'm okay. Um, 
but that was misinterpreted as, hey, send this letter. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> send this letter. And um, so, yeah, that was a big, uh, yeah, big oops. I mean, in the end, it all worked out fine. But, um, yeah, that was a big, yeah. So did they know where your birth mom was? Were they able to to send it and actually received by her? So they did, they did need to search. They didn't need to do an official search. Um, and unfortunately, and this is where when I work with adoptees, I make sure that they are prepared, that they uh, have a good support system and that they have thought about this. Because again, for me, I really, I had thought about searching, but I hadn't thought about searching. And it was on my second trip to Korea and it was like, Hey, here's a letter. Um, so I really make sure the adoptees I work with, they're ready. They're ready to search. Um, because in my situation, um, unfortunately I found out my birth mother had passed away. I'm sorry to hear Um, that. Yeah. And, and this news wasn't something I had expected. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, for a lot of adoptees, you have this, this picture in your mind of, oh, you know, maybe she won't be open to meeting, maybe they won't be able to find her. But um, especially for adoptees like myself, where um, a birth mother was fairly young when she had me, just finding out that she had passed away. So I was, I think, 17 years old when I found out that news. Um, And she had passed away years, years prior, um, was really shocking. And um, we're also really scary just to know that news it's well is it hereditary could it be something that I could have yeah um so it just brought on more and more questions and again I was not prepared for that because again it started out with hey put this letter in my file yeah (laughs) and it resulted in oh um sorry but we found out that your birth mother died (sighs) search and reunion is very complicated like i feel like all the time in the media like we just see like people on tv shows like oh we found your mother and like there's two people hugging and crying and then it fades to black and then we don't really see what goes on afterwards so i know for me like Mm -hmm. uh, i know you mentioned medical history like that was my big reason to search like um when i was younger and i first found out that i was adopted like i really wanted to search to kind of have that biological connection but then as i got older i was like you know what i don't know if i'm really ready for that type of relationship but i had a lot of medical issues so that was like my my pushing factor and i had two sons um and my eldest son he was having some issues too and i was just like i need some type of information and um I I went into it more prepared than I was the first time that I had searched because the first time I searched, um, I was able to find some siblings that were adopted into a different family in the States. And then that was way more complicated than I than I expected. So the second time going around, like I really prepared for it. Like I had been therapy for a while and I made sure to talk about it with my therapist and um, make sure I was mentally prepared for all the possible situations. And I, I feel like that's something that more adoptees need to do um, because it it's so emotional just on a normal day, but then you can add in a million different other factors that can make it even more difficult as well as wonderful. So it, it's a lot. 
Exactly. And I think you bring up a, an excellent point about the media and what's shown on TV and everyday life. And a lot of times you only hear of the good stories. You hear of the happy, the happy reunions and um, the rainbow and butterfly stories. And that doesn't happen mm -hmm. the majority of times, sadly. And um, a lot of times with adoptees I work with, I say, I really wish it could be rainbows and butterflies all the time. But unfortunately, it's not. I wish I could give you a rainbow every time. But it's kind of like the weather. Yeah. You only see a rainbow every once in a while. And that's what the media shows is just the random rainbow stories. And um, I sadly do think that, you know, a lot of adoptees do have really, really high expectations. They do think, oh, my story and my reunion is going to end like mm -hmm. this. Um, but in reality, it may not. Um, you know, even a birth, if a birth mother or birth parent, you know, we have, we can't forget about birth fathers. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, they may not be ready to meet. Um, and, you know, they may not be ready to meet. They may say that they don't wish to have contact. And then, of course, in this day and age with DNA, if somebody requests a DNA test, um, they may not be a DNA match. Mm. And so having all of these different um potential outcomes, it's really hard to think of them all. And so when I look back at my 17-year-old self, I always think, gosh, would I have been able to process all of those potential outcomes? And the answer is no, <laughs> no. Um, I wouldn't have even thought of all those potential outcomes. Um, and maybe that's why I just said, hey, put this letter in my file, because I knew that there were potentially more outcomes that I wasn't ready for. Um, but again, just the outcome of hearing that my birth mother had um, passed away, that was something that I had never, never even thought of. It wasn't ever on my radar. Yeah, yeah. And that can be so painful and a lot for mm -hmm. someone to just deal with. And um, I think for me, the hardest part of finding my birth mother was realizing that she went on to have a whole other family after me mm. and she had been married for like 25 years. She had several other children that she kept and raised and now has grandchildren. And mm. um, at first she was kind of uh, really hesitant to even admit that she was my birth mother because I found her through an investigator. And then, so it's like dealing with all different layers of trauma on her end and mm. um, I guess shame. And mm. uh, it's just like, when you think about finding your birth mom, I don't know, like I pictured finding someone who looks like me and then finally having that connection and be able to talk to them. And the reality is like for a lot of international adoptees, we often don't even speak the same language. Mm -hmm. And so every conversation I've had has been through a translator and it's she ends up crying hysterically. And I just, mm -hmm. a lot of times, like I don't even know what to tell her except for like, I know you did your best and you you had your reasons, but it's, it's just a reminder of the trauma that there is in adoption. And I, I'm glad that where more people are speaking openly about it because mm -hmm. it can prepare other adoptees for what may happen and what they might have to face. Exactly. Yeah. And you bring up an excellent point just with the language of especially transnational adoptees. And um, if somebody is found, which again, I, I always hope that somebody is found 
that's just a reality is if somebody is found and they want to be open to meeting, how do you communicate with them? Yeah. I mean, even through letters, even through letters, um, at Adoptee Bridge, we, we translate letters actively um, for a lot of Korean adoptees. Um, we support all transracial adoptees, but for a lot of Korean adoptees, we have lots of translators who can do um, Korean to English and English to Korean. And that's just something so many adoptees, I mean, not even just the Korean adoptees say, but how do we take Spanish lessons? How do we take Chinese lessons? Because yeah. they want to be fluent. And it's just a reminder of another loss that we have as adoptees because several of us were under the age of five when we were adopted and, yeah. you know, boom, there goes the language and it's so hard for us to pick it up as adults. Yeah. And there's like this emotional aspect to learning other language too. Like, I feel like there's a block like of shame that every time I try, like, I'm just embarrassed. Like, I feel like I should know <laughs> this language. And then, you know, like learning a new language or learning something new is you always stumble and you're going to make mistakes, but it's just like, I can't get over it quite yet. Mm -hmm. And I know for other adoptees, they've experienced similar things and others don't have quite as big of a problem, but it, like you said, it's another layer um, which brings me back to you traveling to Korea. Can you mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that experience? Right. So I first traveled to Korea. So shortly after I met my friend when I started high school, she, um, mm -hmm. she talked all about Korea and everything. And then I kind of got the Korea bug because then I wanted to do everything Korea. And I think it was maybe two years later, um, I decided, hey, I really want to go to Korea. And um, my parents have always told uh, my brother and I, so my brother is also adopted. Um, so when I say adopted into an all-white family, so it's our parents and then my brother and me. Um, mm -hmm. So they've always told us, whenever you're ready to go to Korea, we'll take you. And then we just never were ready. <laughs> and I probably, yeah. I probably didn't, in a way, when I look back at it, I probably... Um, may have been a little interested just because I love traveling. Um, I may have been interested earlier, but um, I just wanted to be my brother's mini-me, and he didn't want to do anything related to Korea, so obviously I, I didn't. And yeah. um, so I think it was, I think my junior year of high school, I went back for the first time with my parents in a really small group, and... Um, that was just an amazing experience. Um, but again, I, I look when looking back, I really don't feel like I was fully prepared for the emotions that come when visiting uh, birth country. Um, I mean, yes, it was fun. Yes, we did um, things like shopping and we ate food. It was amazing just being able to call it food in Korea. You don't call it Korean yeah. food. You call it food. Um, but just some of the emotions that just, would just hit me just at random times. Um, I know I would be walking through a market or walking through the subway station. And then this was before I had the, the search and I use search in quotations. Cause again, I didn't officially request a search. Um, yeah. and I would think, Hmm, I wonder if somebody walking by is related to me. Um, could that be my mom? Could that be my dad? Um, and so many emotions too. just, I don't speak that language. Um, 
why is everybody just looking at me? Do they know that I'm an American? Do they know I'm adopted? And then just doing things that are related to adoption, um, like visiting uh, a baby's home and holding a baby that I felt looked exactly like me because um, I had really spiky hair when I was a baby. And this baby just had the exact hair, same hair as me and just the emotions that that went through me. I went, well, I was here. I was in this baby's home. And this baby is just kind of like the representation of me. Um, yeah. So I was not ready for those emotions. And then that was in country. And then, you know, again, it was fun. I still loved being there. And then going home, though, I had just another huge wave of emotions. It was just a whole nother it was just a whole nother form of grief and loss. And that just hit me. I mean, I got on the plane and immediately I, in a way, looking back, I felt internally like I was panicking. It was when am I going back mm -hmm. to Korea? Um, in a way it was me trying to process like, well, I was a baby once getting on this plane, not knowing when, what was going on. And now I actually do yeah. know what's going on. And then, um, once I did get back to Minnesota, I became physically sick. And I know my parents thought, oh, well, maybe it's like a travel bug. Maybe she picked up something on the plane. But I really do think it has to do with me grieving. It has to do with grieving, leaving my birth country yeah. again. Um, because I became physically sick for about two weeks. Um, and it was me grieving the loss of leaving Korea again. I can't even imagine. Uh, my husband and I have been thinking about traveling to Colombia a lot recently. Like, obviously before COVID, but um, eventually when everything's you know, <laughs> safe to do so. Um, and I'm really nervous about the experience. And I'm nervous about experiencing a lot of the things that you just discussed. And um, I, I really feel like I understand why you got sick. Sorry, there's a fly. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, <laughs> like I don't know. It's it's kind of good to hear someone else who had gone through it. And um, I know you've been back right since that first time. Um, did you mm -hmm. find that you were mm -hmm. more prepared to deal with those types of emotions the second time around? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I've been back um, several times since that first trip. Um, that and oh, then wow. I actually went back the next year. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and it really was, uh, I, I really felt mm -hmm. that I had to go back. It was, I, I, it wasn't just like, oh, it'll be fun. It was, I have to go back. I, I have to go back to Korea. I have to, there, it was, it was just this huge, deep longing. Um, and I, that being said is I know I can never live there. <laughs> I can't live there permanently, but I have to always just have some kind of connection, physical connection to Korea. So um, the next year I did go back again with another small group. And that time I do remember it was less um, emotional just because I knew what to expect. Um, I knew that, hey, you know, people are going to look like me, but again, I'm not going to actually look look like them because I'm going to speak English I'm going to dress differently yeah. my mannerisms are American um, I'm going to I, people can tell that I'm American even though I have a Korean face and 
I'm going to be okay with that. I mean, some adoptees aren't, but for me, you know, I had a whole year to process that. And also I went back with some really good friends of mine and um, we just had fun. I mean, we just had a really fun time just, again, eating, <laughs> eating food and exploring. And um, they went back for their first time and I went back for my second time. And um, it was fun. And then returning back uh, to the U.S., it was still hard, but mm-hmm. I had the comfort of knowing I can always go back. I mean, I just yeah. came back from returning. So I had the peace of mind of knowing I can always go back and Korea will always be there for me. So it was, it was a lot, it was an easier trip than that first time. I like that. Korea will always be there for me like that. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like as adoptees, we're so used to loss that mm. we, we have a lot of fear that we're, we're just not going to get the chance to do the things that we want and connect the way we we desire to our birth country and our birth family. But um, I feel like we need to remind ourselves that it's okay to, to do it at your own pace because it's going to be there yeah. and we, we can do it in little steps and we'll get there. And it just takes a little more effort than other people. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just kind of curious, like how your relationship with your parents um is and like were you able to discuss these feelings um when you were going back and forth and with your family did they did they understand yeah so i know that the first trip to korea um i can't remember anything about us talking about korea (laughs) i remember us talking about hey we're going to korea and we're gonna have a lot of fun and i know i wanted to meet my foster mom so um, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, me putting together a photo album for that. And other than that, I don't remember us talking too much about <laughs> us getting ready for Korea. Um, I do know that, um, they, you know, as we've reflected afterwards, they've said that, um, it was really neat seeing me in Korea because they really do feel like, when I'm here in America, I'm always so tense. I'm always like, I, mm-hmm. I hold my posture a certain way. And it's just like a really tense, I don't know, that's according to my parents. <laughs> and they said that in Korea, I think it was on one of the first days, they said that they saw me, me in a different light. They just saw me in a more relaxed light. Um, they said it seemed like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And they said it was really cool to see that. Um, and they said it was just, they, they hadn't expected that they hadn't expected to see me feel so relaxed. Whereas for me, I mm-hmm. was thinking, Oh my gosh, how am I going to respond to people if they talk to me in Korean? And I felt really tense inside, but yeah, <laughs> they were saying that they saw me really relaxed. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, and then, you know, we, I mean, we talked during the trip and we obviously, and, but I don't remember us doing any other like huge reflections before after and then I know the second trip um I just went back with my mom it was kind of like a mother-daughter trip Mm -hmm. and on that trip I know that we had some really tense interactions even though it was a really fun trip for me um even though it was a really fun trip for me I also spent more time in a baby's home volunteering and I think just for me internally 
as I look back at it, it was really hard for me because I was around all these babies who, um, like me at one point, you know, were in this baby's home, had no direct one-on-one care. And, um, you know, all these babies, I think it was maybe about 30 to 40 babies. Um, they were in the situation of being so young and had already suffered so much loss and trauma and they were anywhere from one day to two weeks old. And that was really eating away at me. And I think, again, my teenage self wasn't able to process that. Um, but looking at it now, I think that's what was really eating away at me. And so that's probably why it was so tense, why my mom and I had so many tense moments, in addition just to being a teenage girl and mom interactions. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then afterwards, I mean, we've talked a little bit about it. Um, but since then, I mean, I've traveled to Korea multiple times, but my parents unfortunately haven't. Um, I mean, they want to, but they just haven't had the opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just can't even imagine being in a room full of babies uh, like that. And I can just like feel the pain. Like every time I think about myself in the orphanage, orphanage for like five months, like I, I feel so bad for myself and other babies and other adoptees who had to go through that. And especially as a mom now, because for your entire pregnancy, um, I don't know if you have kids, but um, usually you hear from like the, the gynecologist and doctors and studies and books. It's just like, oh, bonding with your baby. It's so important. It's so essential for brain growth. Oh, one-on-one contact, breastfeeding, this and that. And it's just like <laughs> all like this is repeated so many times and we're told how important it is uh once you become a uh, become a mother yourself but then as an adoptee we're kind of just not told anything about that and that type of mindset is pushed aside because it's like oh you should just be happy with your adopted family forget about all that it's not so important right. and the thing is it's mm-hmm. it is important and it makes it complex um and that's what i can't help thinking when you bring up the the baby home um but now that you're working with like post-adoption and preparing other adoptees what are your biggest um i guess tools that you try to teach adoptees before they consider taking a trip um home to their birth country I think a lot of it just has to do just have a really good support network, um, have a really good support network. And um, at Adoptee Bridge, we have discussion groups. We have discussion groups for adult adoptees, and we have discussion groups for um, adoptive family members, not just adoptive parents, but spouses, um, partners of adoptees, siblings of adoptees. Um, So, I mean, you can come to one of those. Um, or, I mean, you can just have a good circle of friends, uh, or have a cousin or whatnot. And, but just have a really good support network, um, that you can talk to. Um, and then ideally one of those people in your support network will go with you to your birth country Hmm. just because you go to your birth country and you go through so many things. I mean, whether it be, oh, seeing, you know, all the raw fish at the, in the Busan fish market, yeah. or, you know, you try on hanbok, or you try, you know, all the different foods, or you visit your adoption agency, um, you know, all these things you experience, and you want somebody to be 
there with you so once you return home, you can be able to process it with them um, rather than having to tell everybody, oh, this is what I did and this is what I did. And, um, you know, a lot of people are going to say, how was your trip? How was your trip? And that's great. But at the same time, if you're not able to be able to say, oh, do you remember what happened here? Oh, do you remember what happened here? It's going to be really, really draining um, not being able to relate to someone um, and have them say like, yeah, I know, I remember that. Yep, I remember what happened on day three. I remember what happened when we visited the orphanage. I remember what happened when you reviewed your adoption file. Um, and it's in some ways it's a sense of loneliness um, if you don't have someone travel with you um, because you don't have that support um, later on when you're trying mm -hmm. to process after the tour. And I think a lot of a tour or visiting a birth country, whatnot, and I think a lot of times people don't realize the emotions that come after visiting your birth country uh, because those those can be very powerful. Again, being phys I was physically sick, um, but the emotions that can come up, the sense of loss, those, the questions that can come up, um, those are very, very powerful. Um, and I think while we try to prepare as much ahead of time and you have the excitement and then obviously the logistics of what to pack, Am I going to like it there? What's the weather going to be like? A lot of times people just push aside the emotions that come afterwards um, because they're just getting ready and they're so excited for, boom, the, the trip. But then afterwards, yeah. I mean, the afterwards is going to, you know, be, it could potentially be your whole entire life. So you do need to prepare for that as well. Um, and that's why I definitely um, suggest having that good support network but then especially saying at least one of those people in your support network should travel with you. Um, but that being said, I mean, if you go with a tour group, and I mean, I'm not trying to promote going with either our tour, Adoptee Bridges tour or another tour, um, you can, you know, make a really good support network within a tour group, or you may make friends when you go to your birth country, and they can be a good support network as well. Mm -hmm. um, but just having a good support network in general. Yeah. Um, do you just do tours for Korea or do you do other countries as well? As of right now, only Korea, but we hope um, to start doing tours um, to other countries in the near future. But we got to start small. Yeah. <laughs> We're only in our third year, so we yeah, got to start yeah. small with Korea. Uh, but hopefully in the near future, we can start expanding to other countries. Definitely. Um, Another thing that I'm wondering is um, a lot of adoptees that I know, especially transracial adoptees, we often grow up in primarily white towns. So we don't really have a lot of racial mirrors um, in our day-to-day -day lives. And so when you went back to Korea and all of a sudden you're surrounded by people that look like you, um, how did that feel? It was very interesting um at the same time it was a little disappointing but I, I have to admit it was a little disappointing um so i'm i'd say an average height korean i'm five four um here in minnesota people would look at me and go like oh you're kind of tall for an asian i don't know but i feel <laughs> i'm an i feel like i'm average height but in korea i have an average height korean um but I am a big, I am bigger built. I am bigger built and I've always been self-conscious of that. And I've always known that I've been, I'm not the really skinny petite Asian that a lot of people think is the stereotype, you know, like 
all very yeah. dainty, very petite. And I've always been very self-conscious of that, not only here in the United States, but then when I went to Korea, it was even more obvious because in Korea, body image and weight and appearance is very, very, um, just something very, you know, not only talked about, but something that's uh, criticized a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very, it was, I was very self-conscious, um, not primarily on the first trip back, but on other trips back, I've been very, I've been, it's been, people have been very, I'd say very outspoken about my appearance. Mm. Um, so I'd say that the first trip back though, um, when I tried to see people that looked like me, um, again, I'd feel like I was a lot bigger than everyone else. And that was back in the day when I was like really, really skinny compared to now. And, um, I felt like, well, I don't look like any of you. I can't even back in that day, it was hard for me to find clothes that I wanted to fit in. Um, cause you know, being a teenager, just trying to find the clothes I wanted to fit into. Um, and then I was a soccer player and coach soccer and whatnot. So I was always in the sun. So my skin was really dark oh, and yeah. friends, friends love the light skin. So they were, I do know that back then they were a little critical of my darker skin color, even though I went in the springtime. And so just finding like a makeup tone that fit my skin tone. And um, so I do know I was a little bit disappointed just because it was very hard to find, you know, like clothes and, you know, finding the right makeup. And then, um, you know, at the same time, I mean, yeah, on fast glance, everybody was Asian. But it was a little bit disappointing because it was, I, I felt like everybody did look kind of uniform. Yeah. And that, and that was another way that I felt like I stood out as an American. I, I'm so glad that you shared that because I think that a lot of us, if we were just going on a trip, we, we wouldn't really prepare for those types of things um, if we didn't really sit down and um, actively try to learn and prepare. Um, but like a lot of other countries, they, they do have like stereotypes of like Americans. And then when we're par- supposed to be part of like the birth culture and yet we were raised American, that leads to like a layer of complication that can be difficult to deal with emotionally. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I can totally see like going back to Colombia and not fitting in and like being sized like an American and having all these American <laughs> mannerisms like would be something that makes me stand out and um, not necessarily in a good way. And that can mm-hmm. be a lot to deal with. Um, yeah. So, so I'm glad you brought that up. It's just like, just thinking about these things. I'm just like, wow, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot for um, adoptees to deal with. And I, I find it so amazing how you were able to adjust and Mm -hmm. absorb all that information at a young age. Like you were visiting back when you were only 17. (laughs) That's, that's really young and I'm 27 and I can't even still wrap my head around it. Um, So uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, I guess my other question would be is if you have any advice for potential adoptive Ooh, parents advice. or current adoptive parents. Oh, where parents, to start? Um, <laughs> about some of the topics that we talked about today. Oh, so many. Um, I'd say, I mean, a few things. <laughs> One is just, I know that there are a lot of 
adoptive parents out there who are looking for resources um, that they'd like to introduce to their children about their birth culture or they'd like for their child to go to a certain camp. But um, I use this based off of my own experience. And um, I know that if my mom or dad had said, hey, go to this Korean camp when I was 10 years old, I'm very stubborn. Uh, I would have said no. And I know that if they had pushed and pushed, um, mm. I, I probably would not be where I am today. And I probably would not um, be in po the post-option work I am in. I, I, you know, that I do today that I love, I probably would not have visited Korea at all um, because my parents pushed it so much. Um, so really listen to your child. Um, that being said, I, you know, there, there's also some, some kids who just always say like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But there also are some children who deep down inside are not, you know, they're not ready. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, some, some people, they're 27 or they're 47 and they haven't returned there to their birth country and mm -hmm. that's okay. Every adoptee, they take things at a different age. Um, and if you introduce things too early or too fast, it may make them push it away and it may take them longer to welcome something into their lives. So really listen to your child, really take it at their, their pace. Um, so that's one. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is, is that when it comes to searching, again, it should be your your, your child. It should be your child's decision. Um, I know that some parents they are really curious, and they they really want to the search on behalf of their child. But again, if your child isn't ready, if your child isn't showing that interest, don't just go ahead and search. It's again your child it's the adoptee's choice because we we haven't had a choice in anything in our adoption in any yeah. you know who we anything of the adoption process so the least that we can do is have the choice for searching uh, so that's another thing for the search process yeah um and then the third thing is is that you know when your child is ready to you know embrace their culture embrace you know um going back to their birth country to search, you know, support them and support them. And if your child wants them to come, you to come to the, with them to your, their birth country, go with them. Um, or if they say, no, I really just want to take this trip with my friend. Don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Again, each adoptee, they, inside we process things on our own and um, maybe Maybe they just want to, maybe they will take you in two or three years, but don't take it personally. Mm -hmm. um, and so don't plan your own, you know, rogue trip to coincide with your child's trip. <laughs> um, that would definitely, uh, you know, build some fires between you and your child. Um, so there's that. Um, oh, and then another, a fourth thing. I had three, but now I have four, yeah. is I know there's a lot of parents, you know, they call me, they're looking for resources. Um, and a lot of them, it's great. You know, they're looking for resource. And so, you know, when I consult with them, you know, they say, oh, we're looking for um, a, a therapist for our 12-year-old. And I go, oh, okay. And, you know, tell me more. And they may say like, oh, well, um, our 12-year-old, you know, you know, we have a 12-year-old daughter from Ethiopia, and she was five when she was adopted. So we're looking for a black female therapist who lives in Virginia 
who specializes in blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And they are so, so specific. So my advice is don't narrow down all of your specifications, whether it be mm. for therapy, whether it be for other post-adoption programming, because sometimes that perfect resource isn't out there. So you have to broaden your horizon. Um, and it's great you're trying to find that perfect resource for your child. It really, really is. It's really great you're trying to advocate for your child. But sometimes that perfect resource isn't there. So again, broadening your horizon and seeing what else can we provide our child? Can we provide our child with an adoption competent therapist that is an adoptee that you know does specialize in XYZ, but they may not fit all of the boxes? Because um, mm -hmm. all too often I see people just go, oh, they don't fit all the boxes, or oh, this program doesn't fit all the boxes. Yeah. Okay, bye bye. And um, they write too many programs or too many therapists off. Um, so there's yeah. That. Um, so I think I, I have more, but those are the four that I'm going to talk about now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love them. Honestly, I think they're all very helpful. And I think your last point, your fourth point was especially mm -hmm. relevant um, because like a lot of us, uh, we just, tr we're trying to find like the perfect fit, like you said, um, but when it comes to services <laughs> right. with adoption, like mm -hmm. there's not a huge pool right. of endless resources where you can pick and choose and find the perfect one. Now, ideally you should try and to get the most relevant and the one that you think will be the most beneficial. But I do feel like adoptive parents should um, be willing to, uh, you know, test other programs that they might not have considered as their first choice because you can find very good programs that um, are run by adoptees, like mentorship programs by adoptees that aren't necessarily therapists. Um, there's like groups that you could find um, for your child to, to join. And like all these different options are now available that weren't back in the day that, doing a little mm -hmm. digging and just saying like, Oh, you can't find the first, the best fit. Does that mean you should give up? So I, I think that's important to know. Um, but yeah, I am super glad that we had this chat today and I had a lot of fun and I learned a lot of things and I hope you enjoyed your time with me. No, definitely. This was a lot of fun. It was great chatting with you. <laughs> Thank so you so much for having me today. And if you would like to hear more from Adoptee Thoughts, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you'd like to learn more about me, you can check out my website, adopteethoughts.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.